0: to this edition
1: of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Associations podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to
0: patient care.
1: Hi, my name is Tommy Obafemi. I'm a PGY2 here at Stanford. Uh, I'm in the integrated cardiothoracic residency program. Uh, today I'll be Talking with Dr. Jack Boyd, um, who obviously is from Stanford, about uh, cabbage conduits. Um, the talk will include evaluation of patients as surgical candidates, uh, what is involved in the preoperative workup, uh, and how he goes about selecting the appropriate uh, conduits, harvesting techniques, and uh, operative strategies um, to produce the optimum postoperative outcome. Um, Dr. Boyd uh, serves as a clinical associate professor at in cardiothoracic surgery here at Stanford Hospital and is a world leader um, in the field of heart surgery and coronary vascularization. Um, I think the best way to go about this uh, and gain the most uh, insight is to run through a clinical scenario. So let's uh, jump right into it. So we have a 68-year-old male who's referred to as cardiologist from his PCP after uh, experiencing chest pressure and fatigue while mowing the lawn. Uh, the cardiologist, cardiologist orders a treadmill stressed EKG, which shows some ST depression in the lateral leads. Uh, he gets a nuclear perfusion uh, study, which shows reversible ischemia in the lateral and posterior walls. Patient is sent for a left heart cath in coronary angiogram, uh, which shows significant three vessel disease. Um, the cath does show some possible targets uh, in the right and in the distal LED. Um, uh, so, Dr. Boyd, when you are referred to uh patients, uh, what is the first thing
0: that you uh, look at? Yeah, thanks, Tommy. Um, frequently, they're not packaged quite as neatly and nicely as you just did in this uh, most recent patient. Uh, but I, what I like to do is go back and confirm the story, check with the patient on the symptoms and see their evaluation as it uh, developed. And, uh, and look at the results of each of those studies. Mm. Um, now, does the
1: EF of the patient determine part of your preoperative planning, balloon pump, no balloon
0: pump? Yep, so th- this patient's EF was? Uh, this patient has a normal EF. Normal EF, Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, yes, I think the main determinants are EF, age, and kidney function, right? I mean, you can get more nuance, but those are really the things that move the, the dial on either right. uh, predicted risk. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I'm not sure if ironic's the right word, but people with uh, lower ejection fractions have the potential to derive a greater benefit. Uh, from surgical revascularization. So I'm certainly aware of it and note it and it can impact the conduct of the operation, Uh, but seldom is it, you know, solely a reason to exclude them from a uh, surgical revascularization option. Okay. Uh, Now outside of, you know,
1: an echo, uh, left heart cath, uh, maybe even a perfusion study, are there any other pre-op
0: studies that you like to get Yes. So, um, obviously, starting the history and physical, and then I like to see the cath, and I prefer to have an echo. Technically, an echo isn't really required, um, but it's certainly my preference, more so, uh, to evaluate if there's any concomitant valve disease, specifically mitral regurgitation. As far as working up the patient as a whole, if they're not on oxygen, or uh, then I, I don't worry about PFTs. And I get carotid ultrasounds not to evaluate the carotids, uh, but more specifically to look at the left subclavian flow. Now we should pick this up in our physical exam because we'll get ABI's uh, and even compare the two arms. And if there's more than a 10 point differential, uh, then we'll want to look because the main benefit of cabbage comes from the LIMA to LAD, and so it's very important to me to, uh, to screen them that the LIMA is going to be uh, a good graft for them. Okay. Uh, what about CT scans? Uh, no, not not routinely a CT scan, if there was some reason to suspect a lot of aortic calcifications based on history, then potentially I'd consider a non-contrasted one. Um, but we pretty routinely use aortic ultrasound. So unless my index of suspicion is extremely high for a major aortic issue, then I uh, do not scan the patient. Okay.
1: Uh, so this patient uh, we see is obese, um, and in our physical exam, we noticed that there is uh, more of a uh, there's a ten point difference that we were looking at before. Uh, now, when you Uh, have an obese patient, does that change your surgical approach? Are there certain risks that you
0: are more aware of? Uh, Well, First thing that comes to mind um, is sternal issues. Uh, And we do adjust our wire size and technique uh, based on uh, morbid obesity. Uh, But uh, really, uh, until you get to the BMIs uh, approaching and above 40, the impact on surgical risk is minimal uh, if you make the proper adaptations, uh, in closure technique.
1: Um, now what about conduits, uh, when do you look to use a When do you look to use, uh, a radio conduit, um, in these patient populations?
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a very, uh, important topic and one that's discussed frequently. So, uh, um, Couple times a year, there may be a situation where we don't use the IMA yeah. and the LIMA. Um, then our second choice conduit is the radial artery. Um, and kind of independent of age, we'll screen all of our patients when we send them for carotid ultrasounds. We'll get an ultrasound to Allen's test as well, looking, and if it's usable, we'll use it. Um, and generally, we want a two millimeter vessel without without any other issues. Um, they can become incomplete pulver arches or small diabetic women uh, then you know, may not be as useful. Uh, we will consider a REMA in person that doesn't have other uh, risk factors for sternal wound complications um, and I mean in general we pedicle the IMA when we take PEMAs we tend to skeletonize and uh, and then we actually we use a lot of vein as our third conduit. And I do think, uh, despite the evidence that is accumulating, suggesting that multiple arterial grafting is superior to single arterial grafting, I think my take home message from the ART trial is that any second arterial conduit uh, will benefit the patient and that they're we haven't yet been able to distinguish that if uh, uh, the alternate IMA is be- is better than a radial. Gotcha. Um, now, if the person has
1: peripheral artery disease, does that
0: affect uh, your decision making and how low you go for your vein and graft? Uh, no, we typically though take the thigh and we use endoscopic technique. Okay. Then we can get to out of the th- out of just about everybody's thigh, um, and I do not require preoperative. Uh, Scan ultrasounds of the legs, uh, just it, we eyeball them, and if something were a raised bed based on the physical exam, then it would consider, or if they'd had surgery on their, you know, uh, veins in the leg before. Okay,
1: and then your thoughts on endoscopic
0: versus open harvest? Yeah, um, I guess I I probably should reread the studies that came out uh, showing better patency. Uh, it's hard to say, our preference is certainly uh, endoscopic and we, our results uh, don't seem to indicate problems based on it, but it hasn't been fairly uh, investigated.
1: Okay. Um, so the case goes well, uh, we're able to complete three successful, successful bypass grafts. Um, in the post-op setting, what are some of the drips and medications you like to use?
0: Yeah. So as a vestige of my training, I keep all my patients on nitro overnight. We turn it off at 6 in the morning. Everything else is uh, as needed. Uh, so if we have a normal EF and we don't have a, a SWAN, um, go by blood pressure and your urine output and titrate there and generally have a pretty good idea of what the causes of hypotension or low cardiac output would be so that we can treat those empirically. We also realize use intraoperative TEE so we know where we stand at the end of the case and can direct therapy based on that. We have a uh, protocol or algorithm um, for the entire hospital stay uh, for patients, uh, you know, a fast track for uh, surgical revascularization. And when people hit the marks, we keep moving them all along the pathway. Uh, we expect them on the edge of the bed uh, later, the same day of surgery, out of bed multiple times. Uh, the day after surgery, chest tubes usually out day two to day three, and walking out of the hospital uh, day four and day five.
1: Okay. Um, what about uh, some of the uh, antiplatelet therapy? Uh, Aspirin, Plavix, post-op. Uh, do you use that
0: for all your patients or yep. some of that? So, it, look at it in different ways. Um, so, the European guidelines would suggest using uh, Plavix for off-pump as a 2A recommendation. In any of the other guidelines, uh, there isn't an indication for or it's. It's not recommended. Um, there's... Uh, w- I think we can extrapolate the data uh, from PCI um, and uh, from its use in non stemis And so, in general, if I can find a reason, I prefer aspirin and Plavix on the patient. Uh, But because it's not guideline directed therapy, because the evidence isn't overwhelmingly supportive, if there is any reason, including patient preference, referring physician preference, let alone any extra risk, uh, then we will hold the platinex on those patients.
1: Okay. Uh, what about um, AFib prophylaxis? Um, what do you use?
0: Yeah, uh, so I will generally, uh, I use amiodarone prophylactically for uh, one month postoperatively. Uh, this is actively being studied uh, here now, an ongoing randomized trial. Uh, but my preference is uh, 400 twice a day while they're in the hospital and 200 to 400 once a day for the remainder of a month. If there are side effects, uh, such as nausea, then we will withhold the the prophylaxis. Okay.
1: Now, as far as post-op care for the leg, do you normally wrap the legs and what are your strategies to reducing uh, post-op wound infection in the main harvest?
0: Yep, so I think endoscopic technique is uh, the first way. If the legs not filleted open or a bunch of skip lesions, that decreases the risk. I think we have, uh, we're very fortunate that we have very experienced and skilled uh, advanced practice providers that do the majority of our uh, extremity conduit harvesting, and I think their technique makes a huge difference um, uh, in that. Then we do we do wrap the leg in an ace wrap at the end of the procedure uh, that comes off uh, first thing the next morning.
1: Okay. So yeah, the patient recovers well and they're discharged from the hospital post op day five. Um, now, what time do you like to see the patients back in clinic? How many weeks after discharge? Uh,
0: so I think it's, it's somewhat dependent upon uh, the area that you practice in. Uh, I think in an ideal world they generally see their a uh, primary physician or a primary cardiologist one week after they leave the hospital, two weeks after the hospital, they'd see the other that they hadn't seen. Then I like to see the patients back at four weeks. I feel like that's kind of when they're over the hump from the surgical trauma or starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but uh, when we do send them home, and that would be our most typical follow-up pattern, uh, we give them our phone number and let them know if there's any questions or concerns at any time not to hesitate to call us, because we'd be happy to see them back at any time if they feel like uh, things aren't going as expected. Okay,
1: Um, and what do you look for in these post-op visits? Is there particular symptoms, or are you just looking to see that they're generally recovering well?
0: Yeah, so at first I look at the big picture, uh, and I ask them how they think they're recovering from surgery, and really somewhat of a leading question, I ask them if they think they're better, worse, or the same as before surgery. Based on the answer to that initial question, uh, the follow-up questions come and we'll drill down. I mean, we'll look at the normal post-operative things: sternal pain, breathing, exercise tolerance, uh, uh, you know, diet and bowels, um, and uh, review medications. Uh, but basically, I'm looking for a, a trend towards improvement and not any uh, setbacks or early plateaus.
1: Well, thank you for your time, Doctor Boyd. I think we all gained a lot of insights on uh, coronary by best grafting conduits pre and post op management. Um, and everyone, thanks again for listening. Thank you, Doctor.